How many of you love the Thanksgiving season? Amen. It's so good. I told Robbie, I said, honey, please, please get rid of all those pies. And she said, no, we're not going to get rid of them for a week. And I said, well, if you don't get rid of them for a week, there will be no need because if they're there for a week, I'm going to eat them. Amen. But I, I, love, the, I love the Thanksgiving season. It's a core value and it's an expression of gratitude. There was a, there was a study a few years ago uh, from a, a doctor at the University of Nebraska. He conducted this study uh, called Family, Strengthens, Family Strengths Research Project. And he and his research identified six qualities that make for strong families. How many of you love a strong family? Strong families. And the first quality and one of the most important to be found in strong families was the quality of appreciation. Families that are strong are strong in part, he concludes, because family members express to each other their appreciation for what other members do and for who they are. Somebody say gratitude. In a similar study, another research took place and looked at the effect of praise in the, in the workplace. And the study showed that the ratio of praise to criticism in the workplace needs to be four to one, four praise to one criticism before employees feel there's a balance. There must be four times as much praise before they feel good about their work. You change the environment by having an attitude of gratitude and a heart of generosity. Can I get an amen? How many of you love it when somebody comes up to you and just says, thank you? Right? I mean, it's, it's crazy because it changes something. We see a picture in heaven of gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. And when that happens on earth, there's something that comes together and there's a, there's a shift, there's a transition, there's heaven coming to earth in, a, in an amazing way. And it, thanksgiving, and I don't think we think about this as much, but thanksgiving is a principle it's an incredible principle that God has released in our lives and probably one of the most underutilized. Thanksgiving is a principle that's released on earth as it combats selfishness and independence. It's eternal. It's the key to entering the presence of God. How many of you like it when you have the relationship with somebody where they tell you where the key is? Keys under the mat, keys above the light, keys in the whatever, right? It's a key to, it joins us with what's already happening in heaven. It's, in the, it's the means by which we look at situations and people differently. Thankfulness, thankfulness can actually heal relationships. And it's the only sacrifice that's spoken of and continues in the New Testament. Sacrifice of praise. It's amazing. So God's given us this principle of thanksgiving and gratitude as it releases something supernatural into our broken and fallen world. There's this rejoicing and thanksgiving in heaven and any time, once again, on in earth that aligns with something in heaven, there's a, there's a, there's a shift. Amen? Amen? Our tradition is uh, a few hundred years ago, a few hundred years old, but we see that God instituted a similar tradition over 3,000 years called the Festival of Weeks. And in and, and Exodus 23, 16, it says, Second, celebrate the festival of harvest when you bring me the first fruits of your harvest. Finally, celebrate the festival of the final harvest at the end of the harvest season when you have harvested all the crops from your, your field. So I want to I key in on a couple ways that our gratitude is expressed and shown. First of all, our gratitude is expressed with worship, which we've been experiencing this morning. So important. I, I grew up in kind of a pretty 
you know, it'd be called a cessationist church. It was real conservative. And worship was like something that was like, well, it's a song service, y'all. You know, we got three songs, and I'm hoping they played my favorite hymn or whatever it is. But I didn't really have a concept of worship. I didn't, I didn't have a concept of not just kind of being back and participating, but actually entering in and, 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 and participating instead of being a spectator. And, and so first of all, do you know that God sings? That God sings. I haven't, I haven't spent much time thinking about that, but the Word says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love, and He will exalt over you with loud singing. Think about that just for a moment. So much Scripture directs and encourages us to sing. I remember when, when uh, our boys, you know, in, in the house, Robbie sang constantly, and she still sings constantly. I mean, our our two our two boys in the in the womb actually would hear and feel and interact with their mom singing because that's just who he is. It was kind of cool because a few weeks ago, Joel preached our our son Joel, and he said something about singing in the house all the time. I'm like, hey, I know where he got it. I know her guy, because I, I, I'm like walking around the house mean mugging everybody or whatever, and she's singing, right? So anyway, but there's just, I, I really not, but I just thought you need to make you laugh. But listen, if God sings, you should sing. Heaven is going to be full of worship and singing, and I believe that it delights the Lord to hear His people sing. And, and, and you know, think about this is that, you know, you listen to somebody, well, how about God listening and going, hey, 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 you hear that? I created that. I gave that, you know, and then there's some of you like you've, you've stood beside somebody like, I don't know if God created that. But listen, in due time, everything will be healed and perfected. It's okay. When you get to heaven, you will be able to sing on pitch. Amen. Listen, secondly, and this is where I'm, I'm going to spend my time this morning. Um, gratitude is expressed with giving, with giving. Let's go back to the festival of feasts that we pick up in Deuteronomy 16. Then celebrate the festival of harvest to honor the Lord your God. Bring Him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings you have received from Him. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship He will choose for His name to be honored. Celebrate with your sons, with your daughters, your male, your female servants, the Levites from your towns, and the foreigners, orphans, and widows who live among you. So this is where I want to get back to the stories that Jesus told, series which were based on the parables that Jesus used to teach heavenly principles. Okay, now, just to recap a little bit, I want to do a quick reminder. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's meant to illustrate something here into into our reality. And then the second, uh, two, two questions, why parables? First of all, to enable followers to grasp the secrets of the kingdom. If you're taking notes. To, to enable followers to grasp the secret of the kingdom. And then we find out that later that Jesus had said that he no longer spoke to them except in parables. And then the disciples were like, well, wait a minute. You know, he'd take them aside and he'd explain to them. And so the second reason is the opposite. It's to hide the secrets of the kingdom from those who had not committed. Now, now you might say, time out. Why didn't Jesus want everybody to hear absolutely everything clearly? 
Do you recognize that in a, in a covenant relationship, there are conversations that you have in relationship that you don't have outside of that commitment or relationship? And so what, what, what was happening here is, is it was to hide the secrets of the kingdom from those who had not committed to his leadership or his lordship. So we are doing, a, as we're doing the series on stories that Jesus told, the parables out of 38 stories, 16%, or 16 of those, sorry, 16%, 16 of those stories have to do with money and have to do with possessions. Let me ask you this. How many of you feel like faith is important? Do you recognize there is about 340 verses in the Bible concerning faith? How many of you feel like prayer is important? Come on, somebody. Do you recognize there's about 500 verses in the Bible that deal with prayer? Do you, would you be surprised to know that there's 2,300 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions? I don't feel like I'd be a good pastor, a good shepherd, a good teacher without that's doing a long series on parables that would be complete without addressing the stories that Jesus told, where in almost half of them, the point was possessions and monies. It would be like a parent that totally neglects teaching and training finances to their kids, hoping they just get it. How many parents have had to walk through some storms because your, your kids didn't handle finances well? Nobody here has to raise their hands, especially if your kids are here. We absolutely have a problem in our culture when it comes to money. Nations invade nations because of money and possessions. People steal, they rob, they kill because of money and positions. Families are divided over estate things, over money things. There's songs about losing money, making money, spending money, saving money, sharing money. I think more offenses happen over money. Think about it. Businesses basically that are partnering in. I've seen Christian people come together with a business and they split over money. They usually don't split over doctrine. They split over money and the handling of business. Their songs, money's all I want. It's all about the Benjamins. Money for nothing. So many songs about money, it's unbelievable how much is fixated on money. It's a measure of where your heart is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, can I just say this? I'm not after your money today. I'm after your heart today. God's not after your money today. He's after your heart today. Because if He gets your heart and it's basically aligned in a proper way, there's a radical shift on how you will look at your money. It's a measure. How many of you love baptisms? I love baptisms. Man, when we have baptisms here, it's like the Super Bowl. People are going in. And it's funny because you get those impromptu ones. They're like, hey, is anybody here? You've made a profession of faith in Jesus. You want to come get baptized? And they'll come running up and they're taking off all their clothes. No, don't take them off. Don't take them all off. <clears throat> we had one guy, man, he's stripping down. And I was so grateful. He had like, you know, boxers on because he was like going for it. I'm like, oh, this could be really uncomfortable. But as they're coming, you know, they're taking off their watch and they're taking off their jewelry and they're pulling their wallet out, you know, and, and you know, my thought was, I think we should baptize people with their wallet. 
Because that's usually the hardest thing to bring under the lordship of Jesus is your wallet. Can I get an amen? And some of you right now are just like, you're grabbing at your wallet. It's like, oh man, I don't know about that. It'd be like getting married, right? And going, okay, I love you. I'm committed to you, but it's my money and it's your money, honey. That doesn't work. It's like, her money is my money, and my money is her money, and you get into stuff like, I, I make a lot more than you do, or whatever. It's like, it all belongs to God. See, that's the radical shift that you have to do in your head. Here's a radical thought. People love that Jesus brought forth some radical ideas, right? Come on. So here's the radical principle. We simply are managers on the earth. That's what we do. We manage stuff that he gives us. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell there within. And we need to recognize that if we have anything, it's been given to us because of God. Deuteronomy 8, 18. I love this. And you should remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And I love that basically in that passage, what you're finding is you're finding the power to get wealth is actually establishing God's talking about covenant in the same breath. You can't, you can't, you can't separate the two. And you can only see this radical truth if you see your possessions as God's and hold them loosely. See, we're called to steward and not seize. But we're really good at seizing instead of stewarding. I believe it was Andy Stanley that wrote this. And this was tough, man. I read this and was like, oh. He said, if possessions are on loan from God, then claiming ownership of them is embezzlement. Oh. So let's look at a story that Jesus told to illustrate a biblical principle. I knew this was going to be a tough word, man. So hang in there because it's good. It's good for you. It's good for me. And next week, Pastor Joel will preach and he'll give you a real happy, clappy sermon and it'll be all good. No, <laughs> no. I'm just messing with you. So Luke 12, verse 16, it says, and he told them a parable. Here's a story that Jesus told saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, look at your 401k. It's amazing. We're all good. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, those, whose will those be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and it is not rich toward God. That's tough. Oh, I love Jesus. I love the warm and fuzzy and, and gracie and love as a dove from above Jesus. But Jesus is saying some really hard things. Because he recognized how much of an issue that money and possessions are. People are killing people. Nations are invading nations. I mean, it's amazing. You've got to have stuff like on your computer, like virus protection, because people will try to basically hack you and get your stuff. It never lets up. It never lets up. This is how important it is. 
But it's interesting in this passage of Scripture, what to many is a ghoul, like the rich man, God calls it foolish. How many of you have ever received a tool and didn't know how to use it? Right? I, yeah, I did. I, I got this. I, I got this like, you know, I think it was for Christmas or something a couple years ago. I got this, you know, bunch of power tools and all that. And there's this one little tool. And like, I had no idea. I was like on a mule staring at a new gate looking at that tool. Like, what in the world is that for? And then this buddy of mine came over and he's helping me do some stuff. And he pulls out the same looking tool and he starts cutting like sheet metal and stuff. I thought, oh, that is really cool. I would have never known that. How many of you ever loaned somebody a tool that they didn't know what to do with it? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah you, can, you can borrow my, my, my whatchamacallit. You can, you, you can borrow my hoochie bucker. I mean, there's stuff like, what is that for? I know that some of these old school guys, if they brought, I got this, my, my great grandfather was a cabinet maker. My grandma was a, was a woodworker. I've got some, I got some old tools that if I brought them and showed some young people, they'd go, what in the heck is that thing? right? So here's here's the issue. Money to us is a goal. To God, it's a tool and it's a test. I want to give you some practical steps this morning, radical biblical steps that will help instruct you and put you on a road to begin to being a good steward, a good manager of what God has supplied you with. Are you ready? So write this down. First things first. First things first. First things first, the principle of tithing back to the Lord started way back. Tithe simply is a Hebrew for a Hebrew word that describes the tenth. And the tenth, so if you got ten dollars, you would take one dollar. And for those of you that maybe, you know, are kind of struggling with common core, uh, ten, ten <laughs> I'm just messing with you, seriously. Gotta make you laugh a little bit because it gets so tense in here. So you have 10, and you basically take one dollar and you return it. Now, I, I don't like to use the word give the tithe because it's not mine to give, it's mine to return. You know, if it's all God's, it's mine to return. So I'm just returning to the tithe to God. And and, and this was way before the law. It was a principle, so you can't say it's the law, because a lot of people, oh, that's just Old Testament law. No, it's a principle. It was also brought into the New Testament and remarked upon in the book of Matthew by, by Jesus. We see in Matthew 23, 23, where he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, somebody say tithe, get used to it, and tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. That's Jesus, folks. That's not some preacher. Without neglecting the others. When Jesus would bring a principle of the Old Testament into the New Covenant, He never lowered the bar. He always upped it. For example, you see in Matthew 5 where Jesus says this in 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what you find is actually the bar gets lifted. So here's a couple quick takeaways on tithing. I think it's interesting. Jesus walked in a culture that tithed. That's why he got in trouble with the religious people for eating with people 
because they weren't tithers and then he would be in violation of breaking the law because he would be eating non-tithe food. So it's interesting to me, he was, he was accused of breaking the Sabbath, of being a heretic, of having a demon, but he was never once accused of being a non-tither. Secondly, um, in over 30 years of ministry, I've never heard anyone regret tithing. It, it's not that it isn't a struggle to step into it, because there's something about recognizing I've got to trust God and we have a tendency to want to trust ourselves. Robbie went through this. Robbie and I went through this as a young couple. We were like, okay, you know, I, you know, one of the things that my mom did, despite my broken past coming up and all that kind of, she kept us in church. And one of the things that she really put in my heart was I needed to tithe because that's what you do with God. And, and, and Robbie and I got, we got married right out of high school. We started a rock and roll band. We're traveling. We're playing bars. We're playing pubs. We're playing stuff. And I would get back home. And because I had this principle in me, I'd go to the church that I grew up in that I wasn't attending anymore. I wasn't even really walking with the Lord anymore. And I'd go and I'd give them a tithe check. Now, I don't know if God would bless like rock and roll money, but it was just what I, just what I needed to do. And then we, we walked through stuff like, Okay, do you tithe on the gross or you tithe on the net and all that kind of stuff? And we walk through this stuff, but it's like we just have seen the blessing of God in a consistent way over the years because there's a principle. I'd rather have God's blessing over the 90% that He allows me to steward than trying to keep 100% and figuring that I'm smarter than God. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits." of all your produce. That's the principle of the tithe there. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. With, with wine. So we talk about giving, like I already said, but the Bible flips the script and the concept is returning. Do it first and your life will change. Do it with gratefulness and it will be an antidote to selfishness. The second takeaway is be generous. Okay, generosity is not about fulfilling the principle of the type. It's about developing and devising a lifestyle of being a generous person. It's actually next level living. It's above. You find that in the Bible there was the tithe and then there was the offerings. And the principle is the tithe went into the storehouse. That's where you were actually getting fed. If you look in Malachi, that's your, that, that would be your local church. That would be where we tithe, the church that we were getting fed. But then there was an offering that could go to different things that God would put on our heart. Psalm 51, verse 12, says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. The Spirit of God here is, des is described as generous, and we're upheld by that generous Spirit. And there's responses from heaven to our responses on earth. When we respond in heaven, there's a response. We respond on earth, there's a response to heaven. For example, in Proverbs 11:25, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Winston Churchill wrote this, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. We have the capacity to change lives by being generous people. The next practical step is budget. If you don't have a budget, you need to budget. 
Just budget. John Maxwell said this. He said, a budget is people telling their money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And we offer a lot of tools because listen, I'm not going to talk to, you know, to, to 500, 600 people here this morning and not recognize that there's people that they're in a mess financially. We, we don't, we don't want to judge you. We're, we're not condemning you. We just want to, we want to try to show you how to shift in your thinking and then give you some tools to basically help you do this. Now, my next one is pray before you pay. Pray before you pay. That's something that it wasn't, that was something that was hard to learn for me. I wanted what I wanted. I'd buy it first and then pray God would bless it. You know, okay, God, I got this brand new pickup truck. It's lifted. It's got some wheels. It's good. Now, would you bless it, Lord? In the meantime, I'm anxious inside because I've got a payment that's incredible. And it held me hostage. See, the other day, because I mean, we're not, you know, I'm up here preaching, teaching you, but we're not, I'm not immune to this stuff. So the other day, you know, I've been doing a little bit of hunting and man, I'm going out there. I'm like, man, my feet are freezing, man. I got like non-insulated boots. I even texted my brother and said, hey, what do you recommend out here? And, you know, I got like zero grams of insulation. He goes, ah, you need at least a thousand grams. Like, ooh, I need a thousand grams of insulation. And so I start looking at boots. Bro, do you know how much boots cost? I mean, I'm talking about like boots, not the boots your wife buys down at D. WS or whatever. I'm talking about, Bo, those are like, those are several hundred Benjamins right there. And I decided, well, I'm going to pray before I pay. And as I prayed before I paid, in my mind, I'm like, oh man, there's a young dad in our church family. And right now he's disabled. He needs, he needs some money. Got a couple young Young people that are trying to raise funds for a missionary trip. I need some boots or, God, this is your money. You're stewarding this stuff. Did I like it? No. It's like, man, I want some new boots. <laughs> what size you wear, bro? I wish I could tell you it was easy. But it isn't because you will be in this constant tension with your flesh. You will be in this constant tension with your want. And part of this is we have a culture that says you deserve it. You need this. You've heard me say this so many times. Average person encounters 1,000 ads per day. You need this. You're not even thinking about wanting something and then a big ad comes up like, man, that would be really nice. I could see myself wearing that thing around. I could see myself driving that thing. You had no idea until you got encountered by a culture that just says you need more. Do you realize, this is interesting, do you realize with inflation at a, what is it, a 40-year high and this and that and interest rates, that actually Good Friday broke all kinds of records by people, like billions and billions and billions of dollars. Black Friday, what did I say? I get carried away sometimes. <laughs> Black Friday. It's crazy. I wish I could tell you it was easy. There's a time when, I mean, Robbie and I still, there's times when like, okay, what do you want to give? I don't know. What do you want to give? I don't know. What do you think I should give? She always wants to give more than me. So I'm like, okay, how about 
100. What were you thinking? 500. Oh. <laughs> then I feel so unspiritual. Back in the day, I'll tell you a quick story. Some of you have heard this if you've been with us. If you haven't been here for four or five years, I haven't told it for that long. But back in the day, we were at this conference and they were taking an offering and it was, you know, missions and it was Africa and it was, I don't know what it was, a bunch of stuff. And I mean, and it was like, I, about a year and a half or two years before that, I had bought Robbie her dream car. She loves classic cars. And I found this 63 Impala, two-door, hard top, white, is like, you know, baby blue. I redid the upholstery on it. This thing was B-E-A-U-T-Full. It was awesome. She's so short that we had to put a strong concordance on the seat so she could see over the steering wheel. I said, my baby's always on the Word of God. She is planted. But anyway, so we get in this conference and there's a big offering and she leans over to me and she goes, I think we should give my car. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) That's the devil. The old church lady started coming out of me. So I just kind of waited and inside I'm like, oh man, I mean, I have dreams of that car. My boys had dreams of that car. They were like, hey, man, I just got my license. I see prom. I see all this kind of stuff. Anyway, so she, and I said, and then that God started to deal with me. And I'm like, well, okay, are you sure you're hearing from the Lord? I don't know, but I think it's the Lord. And I think I'm supposed to give my car. So I wrote down, okay, I wish I could say I did this real happy clappy. I didn't. It was a struggle because I'm, you're always got this tension with your flesh, And so I wrote down on the piece of paper, 1963 Chevy Impala, two-door, white top, perfect paint, perfect interior. And I put it in the offering thing. And then I'm I'm, I'm struggling with this. The next day we go out of town. I'm just trying to be like, okay, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. And we go through this coffee shop, this this drive-thru, and Robbie's a big tipper. And she goes, um, are you going to leave him a tip? And I'm driving, my, I'm driving my one-ton Chevy, you know, crew cab with, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, do you want me to put the keys of the truck in the tip jar too? <laughs> I mean, I'm struggling with this thing, man. And God's using it as a test. He's testing me. And I'm like, but that year was probably one of the most profound years in our life. She had to walk. To, she, she was working at the school. She had to walk because we didn't have the money to buy a car. Like, and and for, for me, I'll just be honest with you. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. You're going to have to walk both ways uphill. <laughs> and she did. She walked a mile each way. And then about six, eight months into it, we got a phone call from her mom and said, honey, we're just, we're going to buy a brand new car. We got this beautiful Volkswagen Scirocco with about, I don't know, 80,000 miles on it. It's perfect condition. We just want you to have it. And I'm like, praise God. Poor man's Porsche right there. <laughs> and then our two boys went on a mission trip that summer, 14, 15, both of them just squirrely. wonder what God was going to do with them. Two days into the mission trip, three days in, I got a call at midnight from my oldest son. He said, Dad, I preached last night. They want me to preach again. I'm like, and I watched God do something amazing in my boys. That same year, Robbie and I had been in a a contemporary Christian rock band for about seven years and recorded, but we hadn't done anything just her and I. That year, 
the Lord saw that we could do two recording projects. And when we look at it, we, we go back to the giving of that. Even though I had a terrible attitude, I really worked, tried to work through it. But we believe that, that God answered that. That this was God saying, okay, that's a test. Sometimes you just barely squeak by, okay? She passed the test with flying colors. I crawled across the finish line, right? But it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not standing here and telling you it's easy. But it's the principle. And if you walk in the principle, you'll find the blessing. You're not going to find the blessing if you don't walk in the principle. So the next one, and I'm kind of bringing this down for a close, is invest. Invest. In Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 2, it says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. There's actually a biblical principle that says you should be, that it, what it was saying is like, make sure there's different streams of revenue coming in to your life, into your, into your that, that's what it's saying. It's a, it's a, it's a wisdom for investing. Andy, Andy Stanley said this, he said, give, save, and live. Invest into kingdom things. Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven where moth and thieves don't corrupt or steal. So you really can't take it with you, but you can invest into things that are eternal. And then save for your investment, for your future here on earth. Set some things up and live on the rest and be blessed. One of the reasons why we invest and we save and we do what we can is because I don't want my kids when I'm like old and whatever to have to take care of me. I, I, want, I want them to be blessed. But see yourself as a steward into a partnership that you've been invited into with God. Matthew 25, 14, Jesus said this, for it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. When I reach back here and I, I feel my wallet, I realize this is what God has entrusted me with. I can't, I can't separate that. Well, okay, Lord, you have all of me, but not my finances. Doesn't work that way. And when you're faithful with the little, you'll be, find yourself entrusted with more. And finally, Matthew, 20, or Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If you make money the goal, money will own you. There will never be enough. If materialism is the goal, there will never be enough. We all are inundated with, you need this, you deserve this. It's easy to be enslaved by debt. It will restrict your ability to give, to bless, to go on a mission trip, or just give in a ridiculous, generous way. We just commit our heart to the Lordship of Jesus and commit your finances, and you'll have a radical shift in your thinking that aligns your thoughts about money and possessions into a kingdom alignment. Listen, I, I, I feel we're not called to like live in poverty. Jesus said that I come that you might have life and have it abundantly, and it's okay to walk in the blessing. I mean, I've been blessed, but you've got to have these things in the right perspective or it will flip on you so quick. We're called to be stewards. We're called to be grateful. We're called to be thankful. Let's be grateful stewards. Amen. Let's be grateful with our worship. 
with our giving and let make a difference on the earth. How do you like that? Grateful people express gratitude. Can we put our hands together and give Jesus a praise this morning? God, I thank you. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray over you really quick. First of all, I want to ask, if you're here, this, this, this is a message on stewardship. But I wouldn't be a good pastor, a good steward, if I didn't give you an opportunity to take the most important step of faith that you will ever take in your life, and that's stepping into a relationship with Jesus. You may be here and you may feel something. You may know about God, but maybe you don't know God. And we always want to give an invitation. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died, raised from the dead, you profess and confess Him as Lord and Savior. There's something about doing this, not just in a, like me and Jesus moment. There's actually nothing in the Bible that talks about Jesus being your personal Savior. So we do this in community. And we do it as family. And if you're here this morning, and you recognize, man, I need to walk in a relationship with Jesus. I've never made that determination. I've ne never made that profession. I want you to just raise your hand right where you are. Let me agree with you. And we are gonna, we are gonna rejoice with you. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor, I wanna be a believer. I wanna give my whole heart to this Jesus. I've not done that before. Is there anyone here this morning? This is gonna be the easiest place for you to do it. Because we're all just gonna, this place is gonna explode in appreciation and we're going to agree with heaven as they rejoice.